Now, please, I want you to turn with me back to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 13. Mark 4, verse 13. Jesus says to the disciples, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that was sown in them, verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, are the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Verse 18, and others are the ones sown among the thorns. There are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Amen. Yes, we are still in Mark chapter 5, but I just wanted to share this with you. This is what the Lord laid on my heart. That understand that all of these messages that we have heard since the beginning of Mark chapter 4, that what Jesus is telling us is that he's sowing his word in. Jesus is telling us that all the messages you've been, of course, all of it is true, but it's like more specifically now, since Mark chapter 4, he says that he's sowing his word in us. Right? Uh, and and so, so in response is, then what has this word been producing in your life? Are you getting the 30-fold, 60, the 100-fold? What exactly is being produced in your life? Or after hearing these specifically since Mark chapter, beginning of Mark chapter 4, that is producing no fruit. So I begin this message with that as a background because we must ask ourselves, what is God doing in my life that's really producing fruit? And if there is no fruit, that means that we're not growing. And if we're not growing, we must go back to Mark chapter 4 and find out why are we not growing. God says, here it is, my word again today. What are you going to do with it? Well, today we pick up from last week's message which began to demonstrate Jesus' power and authority over the demonic realm which came on the heels of his power and authority over nature. Last time we were introduced to this idea of demon possession in a person who manifested many signs of spiritual dysfunction, which included, as you remember, the man was living in the cemetery, running around screaming. 
he had abnormal strength, the ability to withstand many men. And then he was cutting his flesh. The devil was trying to destroy him. So now we continue. As last week we had the background, today we speak of the encounter and also the transformation. Please turn with me to Mark chapter 5 now. And let's read beginning in verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Isn't it interesting that the uh, Christology of demons is oftentimes higher than those who say they follow Jesus Christ? You go around talking about, oh, Jesus, most high God. People tell you, it don't take all that. And the demons, they see Jesus, and they recognize him as the son of the most high God. He says, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, for he, that's Jesus, was saying to him, the man with the demons, come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The encounter. The realm of darkness knows when the realm of light is present. Right? Uh, folks who are living in darkness and living in sin, they know when you show up. Amen? You know, uh, I have to go to myself uh, because uh, just yesterday... Uh, when I walked into a performance, you know, people were saying all types of things. And then when I showed up, all of a sudden, they say, I'm sorry, 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 I didn't mean that. I meant to say so-and-so. All of a sudden, their language gets corrected. No, I'm not Jesus now. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that the realm of darkness knows when the realm of light shows up. Amen? And this is clear. When we see the man who approached Jesus after Jesus got off the boats. Could have, or, uh, have been an attempt by the man to get Jesus, uh, try to get Jesus to help him, as we've seen in so many other instances of Scripture. That when you have a problem, who do you go to? None other than Jesus Christ. Amen? 
I bet if Jesus showed up at that door, I bet you guys would stop turning around looking at me. I bet you'd start looking at Jesus, won't you? He said, Pastor Spencer, you know, that was okay, but I got Jesus now. And I want you to know I'm not going to be mad. You know why? Because I'm going to knock you down trying to get to Jesus first. I'm going to try to be nice. I got to admit. But I'm going to be running trying to get to Jesus first for myself. But isn't it interesting? If you had a chance to read this story from verses 1 all the way through verse 20. It's very interesting. It's fascinating. Verses 1 all the way through verse 20. You know what's interesting? The disciples are missing. They're gone. Remember previously, you know, before the boat, the disciples, uh, they, uh, they were asking Jesus the question, Jesus, you know, you're talking all these parables, and, 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 and Mr. Jesus, we don't know what you're talking about. Can you explain that to us? Right? And remember, uh, they, they, they get in the boats during the storm. I, I, I was thinking to myself, you know, stuck in a storm with Jesus. Right? So they are in the boat with Jesus in the midst of the storm is raging and they speak up saying, hey, don't you even care about us, Jesus? The disciples, they're all over the place. But now we get to chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, and there is not even a peep out of them. Why do you think that is? Why do you think the disciples all of a sudden go silent? I'll let you figure that out. So realizing that God was now on the scene, the demons wanted to know what would become of them. They wanted to know, they cried out, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And I want you to understand that one of the reasons that they were saying this because Jesus had already said, come out of him. Right? So you can really uh, take that verse, uh, the end, uh, verse 8, and really uh, put before verse 7. I mean, chronologically. So Jesus says, come out of the man. And then they responded, what have you to do with me, Jesus? You see, that was their response to Jesus demanding, commanding to come out of the man, you bunch of demons. I want you to look at this. This, this is really special. This phrase, what have you to do with me, Jesus, that is a very awkward phrase to translate from Greek. Oftentimes said before that sometimes uh, that there's things that are said in an original language that it will take sentence after sentence really to explain it. So uh, they, uh, they, they put it in a way that best describes it as briefly as possible. But this is what the demons were in essence saying. This is uh, a language of the time, uh, kind of like a colloquialism. They were saying this, Jesus, 
What have you done to be all up in our business? You see what I said? The demons were telling, it's a very short phrase. It says, T e kai soi. That's what it says in the original language. Uh, there's only four words. But because of the cultural impact, and this type of phrase is also found in the Old Testament, but uh, it is a Hebraism, how, how they would speak in Hebrew, but in this case, as it's translated within the Greek language. But they were asking the question, what have you done to cause you to be all up in our business, Jesus? In other words, what they were saying to Jesus is that we believe we have a right to be where we are to do what we're doing. Huh. Did you hear what I said? The demons, in essence, they were implying that, you know, we have a right. We have grounds to do what we're doing. And if we have grounds to do what we're doing, what are you doing all up in our business? I want you to understand what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is directly in line with last week's message. When you play around with the demonic realm by inviting them into your life through practices such as astrology, through practices such as Ouija boards, palm reading, and the like, you, in essence, invite the demonic into your life and try to give them a right to stake claim to your soul. So when they say, what have we done to cause you to be all up in our business, Jesus?, they were, in essence, saying that to a degree, we have a right to be here in this man. So I'll tell you again, you can play around with the demonic all you want. But you are going to pay a high price for your willful ignorance. But the demons also knew that they were in a losing battle as soon as Jesus showed up. Amen? I said, Jesus, show up. I tell you that if you know nothing else, then learn the name of Jesus and learn what his name means to you. Because uh, with the name of Jesus, there is power and authority that allows you to get out of a mess that you may have found yourself in. Now, I'm not talking about years ago, uh, there used to be a program on television well, not, not, not a program. There are a couple of movies out, right? And, and, and Dracula was there, right? You've, some of you, you, you've seen scenes like this before. Dracula shows up on the scene. And one of the, peop one of the things that people knew that uh, one of the things that would ward off Dracula is if they held up a what? Cross, right? Dracula shows up on the scene, and if you had a cross, it's like, bang, and, and Dracula goes running, right? But have you ever seen those movies where uh, uh, the person, uh, Dracula, comes to them and they hold up a cross and, uh, and Dracula smiles. And he takes his hand and he slaps the cross out of their hand. Why? Because they have no faith. 
They never really believed in Jesus. Uh, they just think this little object is going to have some magic power. Uh, so what am I saying? I'm saying that uh, if you want true Jesus power in your life, you need to learn how to be his disciple and learn to love Jesus Christ and trust in him as your Savior. Because we already know, come on, we already know that it is at the name of Jesus Christ that every tongue what will confess and every knee will bow. And here the demons, Scripture says that even the demons uh, shudder and they believe uh, the demons Jesus show up hadn't even said a word and they're bowing down already. Jesus shows up and they're bowing down already. You see that one Scripture, every knee shall bow, the demons see Jesus and what do they do? They bow down. So learn the name of Jesus Christ. Know who Jesus is. And don't play games. So the demons, uh, they didn't wait to find out what Jesus was doing there. And they went straight ahead to the end of the line for themselves. Look at verse 7. Again, crying out with a loud voice, he said, Remember, he said, they're really talking about for all the demons. He said, what have I to do with, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And then here are these words. I adjure you by God. Now, isn't that a trip? You see that? Here is, here are the demons now trying to use God's name in order to manipulate God. Those who try to uh, take over the throne of God in heaven are now trying to use this powerful name in order to manipulate Jesus. He says, I adjure you by God. That's just like the devil, isn't it? But then he speaks a truth. He says, do not torment me. Again, the me that the demon speaks of is this collective we. Uh, they knew, these demons knew, that Jesus had the power and authority to immediately punish them with everlasting torments. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus had the power to immediately send them to the lake of fire on the spot? You realize that? Come on. Yeah, all of you don't believe me. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. Come on. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. When you get it, say amen. Okay. I said amen, so I'm reading now. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be what? How long? Day and night. How long? Forever. And how long? So how long is tormented day and light? night? It's forever and, and, and ever. You see, guess what? The demons and the devil, they know more about what this Bible says than, than some of us. You know you need Bible study. <laughs> the demon 
demons and the devil, they know more about what Scripture says than you who believe in Jesus Christ, but yet never enter into that relationship. They knew and they know what the end game for them is. And it is to be tormented day and night forever and ever. How long is forever and ever? Huh. This is what the demons knew. This is one of the reasons they, they fight so fiercely against you. This is why they try to fight so fiercely against God. The devil and his demons, they have read the Bible and they know how it ends for them. So they try and they try uh, to no avail to rewrite the word of God in their favor, always failing at every single step. But at the end of the day, the demonic must, you hear what I say, must, uh, say that word must please, must, the, the, the demonic realm must obey the commands of Jesus. As a matter of fact, I think that's worth all of us just shouting out. The demonic must obey, repeat that, the, obey. the commands of Jesus. Let's say that together. Come on. The demonic must obey the commands. One more time, a little bit louder. I don't think we all are yet convinced of this very truth. Let's say it together. The demonic must obey. They must obey. They don't have a choice. Verse 8. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Jesus made an explicit demand on the demons to get them out of the man where they had called their home for some time. They had possessed the man. They were inside the man. They were in him. At least 2,000. And I know that in some cases, some people, they try to make the distinction, well, what's the difference between uh, possession and oppression? I've heard that some people can be possessed by a demon, where the demon is dwelling inside of them, and some are oppressed by the demon. Well, uh, sometimes in our translation, there is a switching back and forth between this word, specifically with the ESV, right? But the word is all the same, and the word is really possession. So when you see oppression concerning the demonic realm, uh, specifically within the Gospels, know that it's really talking about, uh, consistently talking about possession. The reason that they use oppression, because uh, uh, what they see is that Oftentimes, it's not necessarily an indwelling of the, of the demonic, but something is happening to them from the externally uh, in order to affect their physical bodies. So when that happens, and something is affecting your physical body, uh, they, they call that, they, they deem that within the context as oppression. And possession is when they have come in and they have brought their couches, and they got their, their handheld drinks and their chips and everything else. And they got their feet set up right in your soul. But as we look at scripture, we can see that there is some kind of engagement with the demonic 
which varies by degrees. Yes, uh, that sometimes the demonic, they play around with you and me. They try to play around with you and me. Uh, they try to mess around with your family. Mess around with our minds. And if they could, uh, do you not know that they would try to get into everybody in this room today? Do you know that? <laughs> so when a sickness is caused by the demonic, somehow the person is exposed to a tampering by the darkness. Here's an example. Job chapter 2, verse 7. Job chapter 2, verse 7. Here's an, uh, a prime example. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. So the reason that Job had all these sores all over his body wasn't because he was out in the sun too long, right? Wasn't because he was drinking Pepsi every single day, right? It wasn't because he had hamburgers and french fries for lunch every single day, every single month. That was not the reason why. The reason that he had sores from the soles of his feet. Can you imagine that? Dr. Shows could not help him, even if he was around. From the soles of his feet all the way to the crown of his head, probably if you even touch his body, he would say, ouch. You come near him. Hey, have you ever been that sore before? Uh, that someone goes uh, getting ready to touch you. He said, ah, don't touch me. Uh, this was probably Joel with sores, painful sores all over his body. Why? Because the devil had come into that situation and had touched his body. That is what we could call oppression. As with Job, if you happen to have physical issues where you don't understand how they came about, then it could be a time of testing for you, quite frankly. Who will you call upon when you need to get through these tests? Are you going to call upon the name of Jesus? Or will you succumb to accusations against the Lord? God, why did you do this to me? In the end, for Job, it all pointed back to the majesty of the Lord. God who sustains, creates, lifts up, heals, and delivers all in one swell swoop uh, that he brings rescuing touch to our bodies. So the question is, well, should I be concerned about being possessed by a demon? Should I be concerned about that? Well, if you're living your life for the Lord in total obedience, I would say you're safe. You're good. And you can shout with me, hallelujah, and thank you, Jesus. Part of this is based on the fact that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in the believer how long? Forever, right? Come on, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You were sealed. In other words, nothing else can get in. 
So the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in the believer, which tells us there can't be another to take up residence. However, it does not always explain uh, the, the demonic activity against you in your life. You have stuff going on in your life. Uh, and I've known people to tell folks, well, the reason you get uh, the, the devil is attacking you is because you're not close to the Lord. That's a lie. Look at Job. Scripture, what did Scripture say about Job in chapter 1? That there was no other man on the face of the earth like Job. And the devil still came in to touch his body. So Jesus here now back in Mark chapter 5 verse 9. He asked for the name of the demon. And he said, the name was Legion. Now, uh, I got to warn you right off the bat. Now, if you call yourself trying to exercise someone and cast out demons, uh, don't waste your time trying to find out, well, what your name is? Demon, what is your name? Uh, before I cast you out, what is your name? Right? Uh, there's no need for us to make a demonic catalog so we can find out all the names of all the demons so we know who we're dealing with. You ain't got to worry about that. Here in Scripture, I believe the Lord wanted to expressly show something to us. And that is the extent and the viciousness in which the devil will go through in order to destroy us. If he has to send one, or two, or three, or one hundred, or five hundred, or a thousand, or two thousand demons after you, he will do it because he can't stand your guts. So uh, Legion begged Jesus not to cast him out of the country. Well, well does it, what, what difference does it make? I mean, really. What difference does it make where the demon is? I mean, if you're going to terrorize someone, uh, you know, why say not make me leave this country? Why is it so important to demons? Were there assigned certain territories or geographical locations to do harm? I think largely to an extent, this is very true, you know, and we'll talk about this in one second. So uh, the demons were cast out of the man, in verse 13, and went into the pigs. Then the pigs went and drowned themselves where? In the sea. You get this? See, we have to think wider contextually of the whole thing. The very sea that the disciples were afraid of drowning in end up drowning the pigs that was inhabited uh, by the demons. The very sea that the disciples were afraid of Jesus uh, don't you even care that we're dying? That that very sea that they were afraid of, uh, that uh, the, the demons inhabited the pigs, the hogs, and they went and drowned themselves in that sea. So what happened to the demons? When they came to this earth, they didn't have a physical body. Right? They didn't come down in canaries and crows or pigeons or whatever kind of birds you don't like. We'll say that. I mean, where are they? Where are the demons now? 
fallen angels who followed Satan and were cast out of heaven are still running around here today. They're still running around, folks. Uh, come on, look at, with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verses 24 through 26. Luke 11, 24 through 26. Listen to what Jesus has to say. When the unclean spirit, the unclean spirit are demons. Right? Isn't, isn't also interesting? So the unclean spirits inhabited an unclean animal. Uh, anyway, uh, when the unclean spirit was gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. See that? Uh, the demons, they do want to destroy people. And they are looking for folks to inhabit. So the demonics, when they are cast out of a person, they look for waterless places to reside. And I believe that waterless places refer to anyone that does not have the seal of God on them. Anyone that's not had the seal of God, of the Holy Spirit in their life, uh, that, uh, that if you're living that existence, that you are inviting demonic activity, period, just by walking around. So Jesus says uh, to the man with the unclean spirit, the man uh, that has over 2,000 demons in him, he says, uh, come out of him. And what did they do? They went out. Oh, they tried to negotiate with Jesus, but they still had to go. Amen? Amen. The transformation. Verse 14, here in Mark 5. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in that country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man. The one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind. Look at that. What, what does that say next? They were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, verse 17. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Some people struggle with Jesus even after knowing that he does miraculous things. See, this is another one of those cases. We've, we've already talked about this before. Uh, we know that the disciples, that they were struggling with Jesus. They couldn't understand everything that he uh, was, was saying. They couldn't understand. Remember when he caused the storm to be calm, they asked themselves the question, what manner of man is this? They were struggling. And the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, they were also struggling with Jesus. And now we see the average person also struggling with who Jesus is. 
But here is another case where people's idea of who they wanted the Messiah to be did not match up with who he actually was. When our idea about who Jesus is and what he should do doesn't align with the Jesus of the Bible, then we are bound to be disappointed every single time. Then we set ourselves up to discard the teachings of Scripture in favor of a humanistic approach to dealing with God. That approach strips the Lord of his trueness and remakes him as our own personal avatar uh, that doesn't have any righteousness. That avatar has no holiness, it has no power, it has no authority, it has no kingdom, it has no deity. Face it. The power and authority of Jesus Christ, when he exercises his power, it makes people uncomfortable. Uh, even folks hearing a message like this, it's like, man, I'm, uh, this really makes me uncomfortable. Did you know that? That messages like this make folks uncomfortable? But hey, you know, it's fair game. It is in God's word, and it's for our edification. Amen? And then there is the one who had been freed, who wants to be with Jesus. Verse 18 here in Mark 5. As he was getting into the boat that he is Jesus, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everybody, everyone marveled. People who rejected Jesus because of his authenticity of, uh, of ministry uh, probably didn't want to talk about him anymore. Uh, don't, don't even talk about that Jesus. But the man who was set free, he wanted to be with Jesus all the time, but Jesus had other plans for him. If the people who saw the pigs drown or those who listened to the story immediately after it happened didn't talk about Jesus, this man said, I don't care. I don't care what you think about Jesus or who he is or who he ain't is. All I know is what Jesus has done for me and Jesus has set me free. Now you know, come on, somebody that you think is crazy living in the cemetery, you know everybody in all the towns talk about him, right? Because you know where you live at or maybe where you grew up at, there was always like that one person, right? There was always that one person that you thought were absolutely crazy. We, we, we had, but everybody in the neighborhood, the point is, everybody in the neighborhood, they knew about him. And everybody would talk about him and say, stay away from him. Everyone would. So you know this man who was living in the cemetery 24-7. So his 7-Eleven was the cemetery, right? That's where he was all the time. You know that everybody knew about this guy up in the mountains in the cemetery, and they talked about him all the time. And they would say, stay away, stay away, don't go near him. Now all of a sudden, he's talking normal in his right mind? Can you imagine what testimony for Jesus Christ that is? And I tell you here today, 
that if Jesus has done something spectacular in your life, well, as a matter of fact, even if he, he doesn't, but for all of us, he set us all free uh, through, his, uh, through his atonement for our sins. But if he's done something extra special in our life, that we better go ahead and proclaim it to the Decapolis. The Decapolis means, means ten cities, by the way. The ten cities he went uh, as the first missionary, telling everybody, Jesus has set me free. And they knew it. Because they oftentimes seen him running around. But Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20. Ephesians 1 20 and 21. Speaking of God, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come who is Jesus Christ none other but uh, than God in his innate essence Jesus he came and challenged the devil's authority and he won even though we don't see it fully in operation today Yet there is a truth, here it is, a truth, that we, we who are in Christ, that we have also triumphed over the realm of darkness. Did you hear what I said? That if you are in Christ, that you have triumphed over the realm of darkness. Okay? We've already read Ephesians 1, 20 and 21, he says he's far above everywhere. It says what? It says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Where? Far? Where? Far above. Come on, say it. Come on. Far above all rule. Right? Christ seated him. Uh, God seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. But check this out. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Read this last verse with me, please, verse 6. Come on. And raised us up with him and seated us with him. You see, did you see verse 6 there? You see, back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, that, that Jesus, 21, that Jesus is seated in the heavenlies above all rule. Now, in chapter 2, it says, we are doing what? We are, we are, and raise us up with him, and what? And, you get it? That if Jesus himself is above all these things that's after him, that tells us that we also, as followers of Jesus Christ, have authority. 
Come on now. I, I heard one. You need to be crying amen and quit playing the victim role. Well, the devil did this to me, and the devil, and I feel so sorry for myself. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Exercise the authority that you have and reject everything that the devil wants to do in and through your life and say, I am seated with Christ in the heavenlies. I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. I am. I'm not being boastful. I can't do it without his shed blood on Calvary for me. That is a fact. But the bottom line is, I don't have to be running scared of, uh, of demons. Because I know who I am. Why? Because that aspect of that authority that Jesus has also given to us. Will you be victim? Or will you run scared? Nothing to be afraid of. Why? Because God has your back. As Jesus has power and authority over the demonic, he has imparted to us that authority that we can walk in confidence, knowing, here it is, that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Amen? Amen. So Jesus frees people with the toughest spiritual challenges through his inherent divine authority for which we also walk. Thank you, Jesus.